0: Welcome to One Step Beyond, the Cadence Leadership and Communication podcast, and I'm your host, Aram Arslanian. Today, we're gonna be talking about interviewing, hiring, and talent strategy with Tom Kucher, who's got incredible insights into how to have the right kind of interview with someone, how to approach hiring, and really thinking about talent strategy. I learned so much in this conversation. Please strap in and get ready for a great discussion. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to be talking about interviewing, hiring, and talent strategy. And our guest today is Tom Kucher. So, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Ram. I'm super excited to be here with you. Although, it's, I would rather be in person, but I'll take virtual any day.
0: Okay, right on, man. And, you know, it, for us, it's super cool to have Tom on here. So, Tom and I have known each other for three years? At so. least.
1: Maybe a yeah. little bit. Maybe, maybe going on four.
0: Yeah, i say, yeah, going on four. And one of the things that's always stood out to me about uh, Tom is he's really in whatever he's doing. So if he's talking to someone, he's fully in the conversation. If he is reading an article online, he's the guy who's going to write something thoughtful in the comments. So Tom isn't a guy that just does things like me, you know, I'm just going to sit here and kind of be a part of this. He's both feet in and he's an active participant. And I've noticed that he applies that same uh, diligence to how he's built his team. So I've spent, I've been very fortunate to spend time with Tom's team and it's cool. Like they're just a great bunch of people. They're very excited about what they do. They're very passionate and they're very eager to learn and develop, which of course is how we've uh, come to work together. So I think a great starting place before we get into any of your thinking about higher interviewing and hiring and talent strategy is why don't you tell us about what you do today so what your job title is where you work what that looks like and also how you got there like what was the path there
1: yeah thanks Aram. uh so i'm currently working as a national sales director for bard care uh bard care is a business unit of beck and dickinson and currently i'm responsible for a team of 36 sales reps five managers and and now a, a clinical nurse team as well and. So between, uh, I've been with the organization officially 17 years, but it's by way of two acquisitions. So started off with a much smaller company called Rochester Medical, uh, which was acquired by C.R. Bard a little over six years ago. And then C.R. Bard was acquired by Beck and Dickinson a little over two years. So that's how I've gotten here. Um, As far as here, you know, I think I'm old enough where, you know, back in college, I don't think anyone ever dreams of being a salesperson. Um, I was a criminal justice major, and I think if I go back and look at the majority of the people who I, I took my criminal justice classes with, I, I'm going to guess that virtually nobody is actually in the criminal justice field. <laughs> uh, so I've spent about uh, a little over 20 years in medical sales, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. most, you know, started out as a sales rep like everyone else, and then you know, was fortunate enough, you know, you always talk about, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Uh, I do believe luck plays a a part in success in in some way. And for me, hooking up with Rochester Medical, it was the right company at the right time and really kind of provided this great opportunity for me to move into uh, a sales management role. And uh, so I've been doing, uh, I've been working as a national sales director for almost 11 years at this point.
0: Okay, very cool, man. and you know, it's funny when you say that almost nobody's involved in the in, in criminal justice. Maybe not as uh, you know a, a cop, but maybe they're on the other side of it. Who knows? Who knows <laughs> where they ended up? <laughs>
1: you know, what's funny is is because I, I mean, I was fully in. I thought I wanted to be the FBI. I did an internship with the ATF, and it was my senior year. and And we went to the gun range. And honestly, I'd never really been around guns, uh, which is kind of ironic. My father was in the military, but I'd never been around guns. And we went to the gun range and i really started questioning do i want the kind of job where i have to wear a gun every day and uh it really started making me rethink where i wanted to go career-wise
0: well it's real. that's in that um with that light it's really interesting because what you do is also about putting technology that helps people and improves their lives and improves their health putting that into people's homes and into their hands so it's it's like do you carry a gun? Or do you give people this, help people get this technology? It's a it's a real interesting um, uh, path, different path yeah. you took. So listen, you know, being a guy that runs a leadership company and a communication company, uh, people sometimes say like, oh gosh, you know, you must only make the best hires, especially with my background in psychology. It's like, oh, you must make the best hires and you must have, you know, instant like connectivity and energy with people. And it's like, oh no absolutely not i have made my share of really really bad missteps when it comes to you know interviewing people hiring people like talent strategy and in fact um we're still learning as a company so we're we're 10 people deep at cadence and as we look at new people um, bringing new people in we're like man what is our strategy so my work every day is understanding people and helping them get better when it comes to applying it to my own business just like most leaders I struggle and I think, gosh, like, is it that I like this person or is it that they're actually a good fit? So I want to unpack it with you because I know you've got some really, really great kernels here. So I want to just start with a a real simple opening question. Um, You know, you spent the last 10 plus years of your career as a sales leader and really a lot of sales has to do with understanding people and getting people and understanding like their motivations and what works for them. So from that perspective, what do you think some of the most common mistakes companies make when they're looking at, you know, interviewing people, hiring people or any of their kind of talent strategy?
1: You know, I there's all that that's I think one of the things that attracts me to hiring is it's it is the most important thing I do uh and it's led for me personally, it's it's when I look back at me being successful, it all comes down to the people I hire. And yet when I got promoted national sales director and I went to go interview my first two people, I had no clue what I was doing. There is, <laughs> right. you know, there is a lack of training there and a lack of insight. And you brought up psychology and the reality is there's just so many opportunities for mistakes. Uh, you also brought up, you, you know, when you talk about psychology, um, you know, I remember probably five, six years ago, there was a badge of courage of being able to say, oh man, I know in the first two or three minutes whether I'm gonna hire this person or not. And you used to be really proud of that because you thought, man, I'm really awesome. Like this is so easy. And then you realize, wow, once you start making a few mistakes, you, you really kind of question, okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And the more you get into psychology, you realize those first two or three minutes, those first impressions that you're creating is really flawed um so as far as where can companies can make mistakes i think it really it's it's numerous and endless uh you know in the sense of for me i i I want i think of mindset uh Mm -hmm. do you believe that hiring is a top priority if you don't make it a top priority you're you're not going to be as successful in hiring as you can be Uh, there's a real mindset to that and when you want to hire superstars You have to make it a priority because guess what? Superstars have always, they don't need your job. They always have other options. Mm -hmm. They always have an offer on the table. They're going to get a counteroffer at their current job. So, you know, the mistakes could be as simple as a poor can experience. Um, If you have the wrong mindset when you're interviewing people and you think that I've got a job that you want, I have something that you want. When you come into it thinking that you're in the power seat, you set yourself up for mistakes, you know, coming into it with it, thinking of it as a two way street, which is, yeah, I have something that you want, but you have something that I want, which is top talent. I want someone who could come in here and drive sales, drive growth and add to the culture of our team. Mm-hmm. There's just so many opportunities to step in landmines for companies, you know, whether it's not making hiring a priority, not training your people how to properly interview and select people um this there's just plenty of opportunities for mistakes and and that's why i'm so attracted to it because it is so important and yet it's such a big challenge and you can do everything right And screw it up the very last step.
0: Yes, that is what, like, I always chuckle because when people ask me, like, hey, what do you think is, like, some of the biggest mistakes companies have? It's, like, thinking they've got a system. Yeah. You know, like, because, yeah, you can have a system for sure, but it's, like, you can still totally screw up. And you could screw up by giving someone a bad candidate experience, like, you show up the wrong way that day you know you've got you're tired you're grumpy you got some like egg on your shirt whatever it is you know you show up unintentionally late for a call um, you don't really make them feel heard or understood these are all normal mistakes we all make these things so even in a, like a perfect system isn't perfect and that that to me is what I think one of the big mistakes are you, you said something you, you hit on it a number of times and I want to understand that specifically because you're saying making hiring a priority And I believe a lot of companies think they do that. So what's like, like what's the discipline of making hiring a priority? How do you know you're doing that?
1: You know, I've, I've seen, and I've heard about experiences where, you know, an individual starts a hiring process and three months later, they're still in the process. And to me, listen, I, I want a thorough process and we've developed a really thorough process but I will clear my calendar. I will do whatever I have to, to ensure that we're moving people through the process in an expedient way. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to hang people out there for a month without any movement. So you can have a thorough process and it can, it doesn't have to be a two week process. It can be a six week process, as long as you're consistently moving people through the steps and whether it's, a face-to-face interview with the man the hiring manager or a field ride or the final interview with me and my hiring panel as long as you're moving people through the process it's okay to be thorough and so whenever we do have openings you know i'm constantly talking to the hiring manager about okay where are we in the process because i'm looking out two weeks when are we doing the field ride when do we think we can do the hiring panels and i'm looking at my calendar to figure out what do i need to juggle around and move around to ensure that I'm available because I don't want them to wait on me for three or four weeks, you know, because when they come to us, it's the final, it's the final step in the, in the process. And I'm motivated to hire somebody. I want to, I want to hire someone. I have a hole and I need to get somebody in there, but I want to make sure it's the right person.
0: So when you're saying make it a priority, you're talking about like whatever the process is, even if it's super, super thorough, it's about moving people through in like a timely manner and making that a priority so that people's experience isn't this like long one where they're languishing and kind of laying around. You're like moving them forward. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely, it's a, it is absolutely about time. Uh, mm. you know, as far as the velocity, it's mm. also about, you know, if you're making it a priority, it's about making sure that you're prepared um uh, mm. step of the way and You know, each step of the way, the candidate experience starts from start to finish. You know, it's not just here and there. It's the first time they engage with somebody from your organization till, you know, it doesn't end when they start with your company. But it is, it's absolutely about maintaining that process from start to finish.
0: Okay, so you're bringing up something that I I always uh, I get asked about a lot, and I'm very interested in your thoughts about this. People ask me often how many interviews are are important. And, you know, so when I first started in my professional career, you went to an interview, you went to one interview and you crush the interview and then you're, you're hired and you work in this company now. And then there was a shift. Then it became two interviews. Then it became three interviews. And now we're seeing companies doing these really long processes where you're having six interviews, you're having 10 interviews, you're having psychological testing. And I've got all sorts of thoughts about this and the nature of the job and you know what people are going to be involved in at the end of the day it's the thing that people keep asking me is like what's the magic you know space that we should be in and i see a lot of things being dominated by kind of trends that are informing best practices instead of great results informing what we should be doing so what are your thoughts how many steps should there be
1: so you know it's something that i'm i'm constantly evaluating and So uh, there's this book out called uh, Work Rules, and it was written by the former head of people at Google. And where they came across, because they, same thing with Google, you know, here's a company where people flock. You know, they get thousands and thousands of people trying to apply and get a job with Google, and they take, uh, you know, it's like 1% or 2% of all their applicants. And so they've really had, the, they've had this whole full gamut of their hiring process. And, and one of the cool things about Google is they, they run studies on their own people all the time and they've got the analytics team to do that, which is really interesting. But what they found was that they, from their perspective, four was the magic number it, it's, mm-hmm. if you do any more than that, it doesn't increase your, your predictability mm-hmm. of, of getting it right. So it, four is where they've landed. And I've kind of alive and necessarily aligned because of that number, but that's where I've kind of aligned. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, one person won't get it right every time. And there is the power of groupthink, right? So if you have a, a more than one person involved, you increase your chances of, of getting the decision making right and more accurate. And so we've also, but we also, when we look at the process, we don't look at it from strictly our vantage point. We're also applying the individual's perspective and one of the things i tell people is i'm not trying to hire the best person here i'm trying to hire the right person because when it's a really good fit that's when the magic happens and so part of our process is is a field ride where an individual is going to spend half of a day or a full day with one of our veteran sales reps because we want them to fully understand what this job is all about So they can really make a very good decision for themselves of, hey, this is, I would love this. Like I could absolutely get super excited about doing this job every day. Or yeah, you know what? I don't know if this is the right job for me Mm -hmm. Uh, because passion plays such a huge impact on how successful someone's gonna be. So we do that field ride. and, And then we also do a panel. So we probably are somewhere between three and four. What typically would happen in our process is An individual would do first probably a phone screen with our hiring manager, and then they would meet with them face-to-face, do a field ride, and then they come to me and my panel where they spend about a half a day with us. Hmm. So you can look at it as it's four to six interviews. Um, It's probably a a three-step process,
0: though. Plus, I love what you just said. It's not about getting the best person. It's about getting the right person. What can you tell us about that? Go into that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just look in medical sales and uh, ram you're familiar obviously with the division i work at you know we've mm-hmm. got four different sales organizations and they're all very different mm-hmm. and the reality is is i've got sales reps on my team love what they do and would hate one of the other jobs on one of the other teams you know oh, i don't want to be in the or and stand around where other people that's absolutely their career path they they're like i want to be in the or like I want that I want to be side by side with a doctor in a procedure and they look at me as the expert when they're when they're you know cutting people open and, and doing things and they need my help so the right fit is key um and and it's not just selling environment it's also sales cycle you know my the people on our team they're getting multiple prescriptions every day so they're getting multiple wins every day mm-hmm. on the flip side someone who's selling capital equipment something that costs 50,000 or 100,000 You know, they may only be selling one of those units every couple of months, right? Some people are built that way for that big win. Others like that, those daily little wins. So it really is really important about the right fit. You know, I could go on and on about the right fit where it could be the right fit with the manager, right cultural fit, you know, all those types of things. Uh, Mm. The right fit is key, whether it's role, culture, and also manager, because the reality is, is probably the most important fit. Is that manager fit uh, yeah. because the manager will make or break somebody's career, their ability to be successful in a specific role?
0: Yeah, I love that and you know that really pushes me to my next question because you're someone who lives what I'm about to ask you more than most people, which is because um, you know I've heard you mention like every hire is actually a critical hire. There's no non-critical hire. and the time I've spent with you, you know like I hear a lot of people say, very impressive things, you know, like whatever, whatever kind of mountaintop thing they say from a stage or in a meeting, or they might even say to me on the phone where I'm like, wow, that's really impressive. And it's not that they don't mean it, but it doesn't necessarily play out for them in a profound way or in a consistent way. But when you've said to me like, oh no, every hire is a critical hire. You actually literally live that. And I've noticed that with the way you've built your team. So why is that?
1: You know, First of all, one of the cool things about building a sales team is, well, I compare it to, say, a sports team, where a sports team cannot go out and hire, you know, an all-pro five-star app, five-star for every position, right? Because they, they have salary caps, they've got economic reasons, so they can't, they cannot go out there and try to sign the best person at every position in the league, right? They've got financial constraints to do that. When you run a sales team and you're hiring people, you actually have the opportunity to hire an all-star in every open role. Now, the likelihood of doing that is is really hard, but (laughs) it is a big audacious goal that you can shoot for. And so that's kind of like what I'm always shooting for, right? Is how can you bat a thousand percent, right? Hard to do, Mm -hmm. uh, but take, move outside of my organization, outside of a selling organization. Uh, You know, I've got a really good friend of mine, childhood friend of mine who runs uh, multiple karate schools in central Florida. And at the end of the day, I don't care what role it is at his school, they have a huge impact on their ability to be successful, whether it's an instructor, right? Because they obviously have a huge impact on the class and how much they like taking it. If it's the office manager, if it's the person who's cleaning the bathrooms, right? If the person who's cleaning the bathrooms doesn't show up or does a crappy job, you have unhappy guests, you have unhappy customers, you have unhappy employees because someone else is going to have to do it. So I don't care what role it is, they're critical. you know. And, and I think go to a fast food restaurant and check out Chick-fil-A. Like they, they've nailed it. They, they understand when you hire good people and you empower them, it makes a huge difference and impact on your business.
0: Yeah, and you know it, it's interesting that you say that because it's kind of like you look at: am I hiring to support what my product is, or am I hiring to support like who we are as a group and who is who we are as a business? So if I only hired people I thought were really good coaches, and they're just great coaches, and maybe they're good at selling coaching programs and all of that, sure, I'd you know I'd sell a lot of coaching programs and and do all these things, but would I have an organization that has like a strong Um, sense of unity, strong sense of purpose, who works well together, who expands our intellectual property, who helps us develop and grow our business. So it's about like, when I hear what you're saying, it's not just about hiring someone to like accomplish the, the like pushing out the product or accomplish like kind of like the, the bullet points on the resume or, or of the role. It's about saying like, how do they play in this thing? So they actually like hit all of the pieces of our business and our group. And they, and that, Every piece together we create something that is greater than any of us as are as individuals. Now, I like your aspirational side, and you know you're saying, like, I want to try and bat a thousand. I would imagine with that approach though, you've probably learned some pretty tough lessons.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> so I mean you know it's funny. I I you know I I'll never forget the experience when uh when I first got promoted, mm-hmm. you know, they always yeah, you know, you've always heard the say there's no, there's no you know, no I in team. Mm-hmm. And for me it was, because for the first year as a sales director, I was the only person on the team. Okay. And when basically we're launching a new product, I went to my boss, I said, Hey, listen, this product is a game changer for this organization, ultimately was the home run for the company. I said, but we will only have limited success if we continue trying to sell the way we are, which is strictly through distribution. Right. I think we need to go hire salespeople and and whatnot. He's like, you're right, Tom, you can hire two people. I was like, two people for the whole country. I get to hire two people. Right. And, but one of the things I had learned was focus, the importance of focus. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna put somebody in Texas and somebody in California, because those are two critical markets, huge populations. Now, of course, I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do, right? I got a recruiter, got me some candidates, so I flew there and got a book on interviewing and questions, and it's funny, right? so I hired two people, one in California, one in Texas. The one in Texas had a great pedigree, um, absolutely blew my socks off at the interview, did all the things I thought somebody should do and things that I used to do as a as a candidate when I was interviewing for sales jobs. First in California. She, you know, didn't have quite the background I was looking for, but certainly, you know, there was a lot of great qualities that she had 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 demonstrated. You know, a lot of grit. Uh, she put herself through college. She was a cheerleader. Got her MBA. Kind of a scrapper. So I hired both of them, and within three months, the the person with the great pedigree I had fired, and it was because I was really basing my judgment on the interview and and so anyways that was a moment that was one of those aha moments and then also as we moved it was interesting as we, as i moved from rochester medical to bard where there was a different expectation on how we hire people made a few mistakes and i really started questioning why are we making these mistakes and that's where i really started on this road of enlightenment of okay what are the pitfalls of hiring and that's when i started learning about the danger of first impressions and how unconscious bias can can derail you when you don't even realize you have a bias
0: okay and- Tell, can you expand on that specifically cuz like this is like one of those ones cuz i want to talk a bit a little bit about like gut feelings and all that but talk about that like first impression unconscious bias and then and i'd love to hear like where you feel gut feelings play into that as well
1: yeah, so the data the data suggests that that basically, you know, we all make first impressions, right? It's our way, you know, brain, the brain's making snap judgments, you know, trying to quickly process through information. Uh, and typically we make up our first impressions in the first 90 seconds. Um, there's some data that says first five minutes, as fast as 10 seconds. Everything I've read is within the first 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. And typically, you know, a lot of that is, is it's forming first impressions based off your your a lot of your biases that you may have. You know, how was their handshake? How they dress? You know, were they smiling? Did they have good energy? Uh, and and all the data su- suggests that those are are not very reliable. And then we go through a thing called confirmation bias, which is we spend the rest of our time trying to confirm the things that we developed in the first 90 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. So if we like them we give them softball questions, we do everything we can to confirm that our initial opinion of this person was right on. And if we don't like them, then we're even tougher on them. And we're like, no way, I'm, there's no way I'm going to hire this person. And I'm going to grill them and and justify every reason why we're not going to hire this person.
0: Yeah. Um. So how do gut feelings play into that then? Because like, it sounds like gut feelings could fall into that, into that kind of, um, confirmation bias, you know, first impressions, but maybe not. So like, what are your thoughts on gut feelings?
1: So I, I think I've got a a, a couple different views on gut, uh, gut feelings, you know, and you always, Oh, I go with my gut. I go with my gut. My guts always served me well. Right. And, and I buy into that. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people things I coach our managers are you absolutely should listen to your gut when your gut is telling you not to hire somebody. Like mm-hmm. when there's just something in there that's saying something's wrong here, I don't know. Trust this person, or it's not the right fit, or there's something up. Listen to your gut. And what I tell them is, when your gut is telling you to hire someone, that's great. Listen to your gut. And I also go back to the whole trust but verify thing, right? Trust your gut, but verify it, and make sure it's not just responding to, you know, because this person is like you, or you found some common themes, and and you just instantly engage with this person, right? They might be fantastic, and they might be the right call, but you know, the interview is just one data point. Um, you ought to be considering multiple data points when you're making hiring decisions. The interview is important. We absolutely, and, and there's all kinds of debate about maybe why we should have interviews because of bias and all these other types of things. I think they're critical, uh, but it's, it's one data point. It's an important one, but it's only one.
0: So, and I am putting you a little bit on the spot here. Is hiring an art or is it a science?
1: So I think it's a, a little of each, uh, ah. I, use this. Uh, I actually think it's hiring a discipline. Okay. Uh, Cause I do think, it, I think it is part art and I think it's part science. Mm-hmm. And so I've always, I've always said this, I don't know if I, if I teed this up for you one time or not, but it's, I've always talked about the fact that hiring to me is a discipline mm-hmm. uh, because you do have to use a little science, but you also have to, you, you do have to use that you know that 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 art form and part of the art form is sometimes just when it comes to having soft skills and you know how you treat people do do when you have an opening and you're interviewing people and you're trying to hire superstars mm-hmm. you want them to want the job mm-hmm. and that's on you that's on you to for 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 you to create that environment where oh my god I would die for this job I want this job so bad so yeah. It's a discipline. You, there is definitely a balance of both things. There is no test, you know, it, like it would be great if it was science. And you give everyone a test and say, yeah, I'm gonna hire you and it's spot on. It doesn't work that way. There's just right. so many variables when it comes to hiring people, when it comes to different jobs. If I could come up with a test, I'd be, you know, I'd probably be a billionaire at this point. I'd still be right. a billionaire, right. but I'd probably be <laughs> you know, a multimillionaire.
0: Um, what are your thoughts on psych profiles to, around hiring?
1: Yeah, so we've we've definitely done those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, um, I haven't been exposed to all of the ones that are out there, some of the big ones. There's a couple of really popular ones um, that I've never even taken before. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'll again, I think it could be a good data point. Um, but if you make hiring decisions, either yay or nay, based on how someone takes a test, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't care what test it is you know i know people who like bomb the sats and you know went on to college and and became phds and just flourished mm-hmm. you know and test taking is just not their thing
0: yeah I, i'm i'm gonna uh, agree with you on that so this might surprise uh, anyone who knows about my background and uh, for those who don't I, you know as a therapist for 10 years uh, in addiction and mental health um, i don't um, I'm not a big fan of psych profiling for jobs. I don't think it I think it can it can be an indicator of certain traits and behaviors, but I don't believe that those traits and behaviors will make themselves apparent in the workplace. And if they do, to like what degree and you know, how consistent they are. Um, I I think it's a good product that gets pushed out and it becomes like a nice box to check, like, hey, we did this thing, but I don't think it's necessarily very useful. And uh, a lot of these, you know, uh, assessments that people do, I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. I think 360s are typically the best um, when you're actually in a role, but uh, in general, I'm not a big fan of those things because I also feel like it, it's trying to do too much of what you just said, which is like, oh, now we have this like certified, like stamped, like this person's a good fit and they could come in and they could still suck or they could have like, you know, all sorts of things that go on. Um, I think it gives a, a false uh, guarantee of a certain kind of engagement or performance.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I, I think a lot of times people use it to to confirm one decision or another, you right. know, in the sense of, hey, we really like this person and good news, they did really well on a test so we can hire them. Or I didn't like this person at all and this test really just proves that, right? Like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. They're an idiot and there's no way we should move forward with them, so... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of people that will, you know, could post arguments the other way, but Mm -hmm. I, I, for me and our hiring process and whatnot, I, I would never rely on a test to tell me yes or no.
0: Okay. So let's flip it a little bit, uh, as someone, uh, who really prides themselves in a good interviewing process, good hiring process, good talent strategy. What's the worst interview that you've ever had where you were being interviewed for someone work, where, where you were interviewing for a position somewhere and you thought this is screwed up?
1: Yeah, so again, you know how, how do I, how did I get where I'm at today? you mm-hmm. know and a lot of times it's it's not a single aha moment, right it's just a lot of different points on the timeline, and it really kind of talks about the importance of candidate experience and also why when you have recruiters, why they need to be. They're an extension of your company and why you need to vet them. But so I was, this was back, I was working for Rochester Medical as a sales rep at the time. Started to get a little bored. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I was getting calls from different recruiters and then ended up going through this this hiring process, the interview process with this company. Uh, Multiple, multiple interviews at this point. I'd met with the hiring manager two or three times. Had spoken a couple phone interviews with some sales reps. And I was going down south for my final interview with the, the chief operating officer. So I live in Orlando, Florida, and I was heading to Miami for this interview. And I don't remember exactly the time of the year, but it was, it was definitely summertime. It was hot and muggy. So typical interview attire, you know, showed up in a suit, uh, was meeting him in his, in his hotel room for the interview. He was at a conference. And so he brings me out onto the balcony for the interview. And again, it's 90 something degrees. The sun is beating down on me. I'm in a suit. (laughs) I am just dying. I mean, I've got the sauna is going on inside the suit, you know, sweating, sweating, sweating. Sun's just beating down on me. I feel my face getting burnt. And the guy is just hammering me away. Like just every answer I give him, he is just criticizing. Like never never gave me any type of buy-in at all, no positive feedback, just this attack. I mean, it was an it was an interrogation, right? Mm-hmm. One of and as we're wrapping up, you know, th- I shook his hand, I thank him for his time. He invites me to dinner. Right. And I literally the next morning I had an early morning flight out of Orlando. It was getting later. I had a four hour drive back. And I just said hey, thanks, maybe another time. You know, I've got to get back to Orlando. I've got an early morning flight. So thanks, but no thanks. And at that point, I knew I was like, listen, if this is how they treat me when I'm interviewing, I can only imagine how he would treat me as an employee. And mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way I'm going to work for this company. No yeah. way. Yeah. And then the recruiter calls me up and then he berates me. He's like, what do you mean you didn't go to dinner with him? You're crazy. He liked you. I was like, well, if he liked me, he had a really weird way of expressing it. You know, and I'm going, if that's the culture of the organization, it's not me. You know, I know you'll find somebody else, they'll be successful, but it's not me. And uh ultimately I ended up this recruiter ended up like just telling me I wasn't good enough, I wasn't that good, and 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 anyways, I never did business with that recruiter, never worked for that recruiter again. But it was yeah, it was a really poor experience. And I was excited about the job. Had that experience had that night gone well, I would have taken that job. Mm-hmm. And there's no telling Where I'd be today, I'm so thankful it it worked out that way because it it worked out the way it really should have.
0: So how did that experience inform your approach to interviewing people and how you show up in an interview?
1: Yeah, I, I just, I want it to be a positive experience, you know, and I want people to want the job. You know, I do. I try to keep the ball in my court, right? I always try to keep the ball in my court. But at the end of the day, you know, I remember how I felt when I really wanted a job like dying to get it. And it was like, when you got the job offer, it was like a fist pump type of, type of moment. And that's what I want. Cause I know when I'm trying to hire top talent, I know they have other opportunities. I know they have other choices. I want to be their choice. And what kills me is when we bring in top talent and we're interviewing top talent and they ultimately self-select out like that is deflating when they opt out. Now, It it may have been through no fault of your own. It could have been, I got a job offer, the job I really wanted, but that's a killer when they self-select out.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, So I'll I'll share a story with you of my worst interview experience that I ever had. So I'd been in the therapeutic field for, I think I'd been nine years at that point. So I was like real experience and I'd done work with youth. I'd done work with street gangs. Um, I'd also done uh, work with, um, uh, housing. So concurrent disorders, housing, like housing for people living with mental health concerns, and then, um, uh, also uh, addiction. And uh, then I'd been working adult uh, addiction and mental health. So I was like a pretty well-rounded therapist and I wanted to move from doing outpatient work into residential work. And so I wanted to work in like, you know, a therapeutic community where someone would go off to go to treatment for like six weeks or three months, and I have no problem naming the organization. I I, I uh, went. I interviewed at a place out in Vancouver, which is very well known, which is a uh, Maple Ridge uh, treatment center. And it was hands down the worst experience I have ever had as an interviewer. To this day, I still remember exactly who interviewed me and the questions because I was mortified. So young, young guy, very eager. And that, and as you talked about that idea of like them knowing that they had something. I wanted that was the feeling I was left with like they were the cat and I was the mouse and it really was uncomfortable so I came in and it was very formal and it was very okay like let's go have this interview and they gave me a surprise test a surprise written test and so they they handed me a piece of paper they're like okay we want you to write out your answers to this And they were like these like therapeutic questions, like, what does this acronym stand for? And if you were going to apply this kind of like therapeutic approach to it, to this situation, what would you do? And I remember like, again, I'd been a therapist for like nine years at this point. I was like, what the hell? I don't even know what some of these terms are. (laughs) And so I'm panicking. I'm like just writing things down. It took me back to high school and being a poor student at high school because I was quite a poor student in high school and it really was humiliating. I felt super like felt stupid. So I hand them this thing that's like barely finished and I'm said, I'm "I'm sorry, I feel like I've started off our interview quite poorly. And then we did the interview and they intentionally focused on things that I didn't know and literally were like, how can you not know this? And I was like, not only do I not know this, I've actually literally never even heard of the thing that you're talking about. So this went on, really bad experience. And it was humiliating, embarrassing. And when I finished the interview, of course, I, I knew I didn't have the job. Um, and at, by the end of the interview, I started kicking back. I was, And I started talking about like, wow, this is like a very odd experience that you surprised me with this, this test. Um, you're treating me like I'm some just like inexperienced person, like right out of high school when in fact I actually have this long history here. Instead of being a practiced professional coming in, You've treated me like I'm an imposter trying to get something from you. Yeah. And I just want to give you that feedback. Like this is actually quite a been a terrible experience. And they were like, well, you know, maybe you're just not Maple Ridge Treatment Center material. I was like, I don't think I am. <laughs> so I went back to my boss um, and I told him about the experience and he was like, that's wild. What were some of the questions? And I started rattling off the questions and he was like, of those 10 questions, I literally could answer one of them. And this was like my boss. And the thing that stood out to me was like, and while I'll never, ever forget the two guys who interviewed me, I'll never forget the room. It stood out to me as not a meeting of two groups of people trying to decide if we should work together. It was, we are the gatekeepers of the kingdom and we will decide if you, the peasant, get to enter into our kingdom. And it made me so, um, it made me so filled with a desire to make sure nobody that ever tried to work with me ever felt that way. Like I would never wanna degrade people that, to that uh, to that degree. And so when, when we talked about this subject specifically, I was like, I knew I was gonna tell that story because like, I'll never forget it. Like what, who put these two people in charge of hiring people? It was, it was a terrible experience.
1: Yeah, I know for me, you know, one of the things that we've, and I think it's probably a result of some of the things, I think when people are interviewing as far as the decision maker or the hiring manager, I think a lot of people play a character or play a role. Mm -hmm. And for us, we are very intentional with being our authentic selves. Like Mm -hmm. we want them to see who we are, kind of what our culture is like. We are in an interview and yeah, it's serious. We're here to make a very important decision, but we are friendly. We're engaging. Uh, there's a couple of us that like to, you know, kind of harass each other in, in a really playful, comedic way. And, and we, we do, it. we show them exactly who we are. We all, you know, our, all of our cards are on the table. We want you to know what you're getting when you come work for board care.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So we've talked a lot about interviewing and like our approach to interviewing. What about when it comes to hiring? So you got a, you got a field of candidates. Maybe you have two or three candidates. Maybe you have one but in the spaces where you have more than a few people how do you know who you're going to hire
1: yeah you know it's always a good problem to have when you've got it's it's tough you know you're always wanting you want someone to to kind of emerge to the top right but when you've got two really strong candidates you know it's a good problem to have and you know sometimes it's just the little things that separate them you know who who wants the job more you know and 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 or the little things who did the little things so you know, we go through a very thorough process. One of the things that we do, and this is this is a, maybe a little controversial, but I actually got this from reading the book from, from Google, uh, it's not from Google, Google, but it's the work rules book. Mm-hmm. Talked about the fact that hiring managers, you ought to really take the power away from the hiring manager because they will lower the bar. Um, the longer they have an opening, the more they will lower the bar on talent, right? And, and I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to raise the bar up. And so I've taken that power away from them, my old boss thinks it's a huge mistake, but so far it's worked well for us. So we have basically four people involved in our, in our process and everyone will pull out different things. Um, you know, and, you know, ultimately I don't know if we've ever gotten to the point where we just had a standstill and can't make a decision. You know, somebody has, you know, their, their, their cream has risen to the top at some, some way. And it, it may be a little, maybe a small thing that's differentiated them, but when we, sit back. And again, I like to, um, for me, when I'm meeting with somebody, it takes me a few hours before things start settling down for me. Like I'll write my notes down, but it usually takes me a few hours before things become, come into more focus for me in the sense of, well, this makes sense and this makes sense and this doesn't make sense. So, you know, we come together and we really find a a really strong way of aligning. And, And sometimes it could be hey, these candidates are basically a tie. Uh, I think this one just fits better in with the culture of the organization. And, and when I talk about culture, sometimes that's a dirty word, right? In the sense of there's all this stuff out there that culture eats strategy for breakfast. I'm a huge proponent of culture. Uh-huh. It's just the way you use it. Uh, the way I apply culture is about shared values. You right. know, when you look at my team, it's we're collaborative. Uh, we treat each other with a high level of respect. We take our jobs serious. We just don't take ourselves that serious. We like to have yeah. fun. Those types of things.
0: Yeah. Um, what you just said, and you know, for anyone who who doesn't see a, a video of this, as soon as uh, as soon as Tom said, you know, uh, cultured strategy for breakfast, I put my hand on my head and shook my head. You know, the first time I heard someone say that, I was like, wow, that's so profound. And then like the 9,000th time I've heard someone said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish this would just go away. It's <laughs> like, it's one of those like nonsense sayings. Like when people are like, we hire the best and the brightest. Oh, really? Well, who's hiring the worst and the dimmest? Yeah. Like nobody is setting out to do that. And when people are saying like, oh, culture, strategy for bright. Yeah, that sounds cool. The amount of times I see companies sink money, like real money and real training and real hiring based on culture is so few to let's create a strategy so we can get, you know, make, grow our business as much as we can. So like, I I think these kind of like nonsensy things that people say like that, it's like, yeah, that sounds cool, but what do you actually mean about that? And what you just said about like, well, what do we mean by our culture? And you just hit it right there. Like for me, culture can be a huge thing. It can be a, a huge complex thing. If I think about the culture of, of cadence, do I look across the people and we all, you know, believe in similar things we all care along the same lines we all have an approach that we believe is like honest we can trust each other we're pulling in the same direction we can be real with each other like as business people that's the culture like is our culture like welcoming do people find space can people be challenged and have good conversations yeah but you're only as able uh, able to have that kind of culture based on who you hire and every like for me, there's ten of us, so of course, every hire is like crazy important, but that importance doesn't get lost even if you have a hundred people.
1: absolutely not you know for me when when I think of culture right because you know a lot of people have been on the team for for many years, and we've got some really long tenure on the team, which I'm really proud about is you know, I don't want anyone to ever leave because they can go make five or ten thousand dollars more, yeah, because they love their job so much and they love the people that they work so much and Again, like anything, when you hire people, you have this great power and you've got to, like anything, when it comes to power, you've got to use it responsible. Yeah. And if you use a culture thing to hire 30 people who think and act and talk the exact same way, that's irresponsible, right? Mm-hmm. Look at my team. I know we have, first of all, we're an amazingly diverse team when it comes to gender and uh, ethnicity. Um, and I know that we've got all kinds of people on there that think differently politically, religiously, all those types yeah. of things. I don't yeah. care at all about that. Yeah. You know, it's those shared values of just how we treat each other. We share our success stories. You know, I don't believe in secret sauce, right? Like the more successful we are as a team, the better for all of us. So if you've got something that's working, mm-hmm. share it with your team member because it benefits all of us when all of us do better.
0: Yeah. And you know, this is why I was really excited for us to have this conversation. Cause again, I'm, like I've sat with your team, like, this is true. Like you have a, like a genuinely very diverse and like very inclusive team and it's cool. Like just cool sitting with everyone. So I, I a question for you again, back to hiring. When we think about hiring, we all hire people that maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe it just didn't work out for a variety of reasons, or maybe it was a mistake. But what about when you hire someone? Are there Do you have any kind of strategy about maintaining a relationship or maintaining good feelings with the person you didn't hire? Because maybe you need to go back and offer them the job afterwards if you get the chance. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I can't say that we've got this great strategy for this in-depth uh, way of, of maintaining these relationships. But regardless of who it is when they come in, first of all, we want everyone to have a really strong, positive experience when they come in. We want them to want the job, uh, but I'll I'll do the little things, like even, you know, and I never, as a candidate, when I was interviewing, nobody ever did this with me, but whenever I get a thank you email, I return everybody's thank you email, right? Most hiring managers don't do that, Uh, but I I always send a note back to them. And a lot of times, there's a lot of times when people come in, and and to your your point, your question, Aram, is when I see certain things and some people one one of the things i love to do is i really love coaching people who are really early on in their careers and i always tell them hey listen i don't know how this is going to work out you know you and i are meeting i'm not the ultimate decision maker the panel's a decision maker i don't know if you're going to get this job but i will tell you this if you don't get the job i would be happy to be your mentor and you know here's my number you can pick up the phone and call me anytime if you've got to interview if you'd like some advice on interviewing. Or if you're evaluating a company or two, and you really want to know, you know, which one do you think? I make myself, I don't do that for everybody, but certain people, there's something about them that there's, whatever it is, I see something in them that I want to help. I put that out there for, and as a matter of fact, just last week, I had somebody call me. I didn't actually interview him. I was, I got involved with him because of the sales contest. Colleges now have sales programs, and they have these selling contests. And I told him, I said, hey, listen, if there's anything I can do, call me. Half, a lot of people don't take me up on it, right? They they don't bother. But this guy did. He called me and he was like, hey, listen, I've got two offers and I'm not sure which one to take. And I also would love to get your advice on a counter offer. And he's because he's got people, you know, in his ear like, you, you always counter, you always counter. You know, the great thing about advice is it's free and everyone's got some right and you really have to filter through the advice and i just said listen man i don't know the right or wrong answer i'll give you my my feedback and my advice like i've never countered ever you know because mm-hmm. if i'm if it's a job i'm excited about and it's a fair offer i took it that was just my mm-hmm. mindset but i know plenty of people who do counter and there's nothing wrong with that either as a salesperson you you know you're kind of expected to do that right You you don't know unless you ask
0: yeah, and uh, I, I, yeah, like one hundred percent. But that, like, maintaining a, a good relationship with that person you didn't hire, I think that's one of the biggest missteps people make, because you just don't always hire the right person. And and maybe they are the right person, but maybe something happens in their life where suddenly they can't perform the way they would have, or maybe they're not the right person, or maybe the job changes, whatever it is. The person that you didn't hire, or the two people that you didn't hire, if you maintain a really really good relationship with them you might find actually like that magic connection between them as long as you have actually maintained and fostered that relationship. One of the things I, I always encourage people to think about is like when people apply at your company, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be um, if, they, if you don't, they don't make it. It's like, all right, see you later. We'll never see you again. It should be the beginning of a relationship. And I always think it's great if someone applies at your company multiple times because it shows that they're paying attention to what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. I
0: completely agree. I think that's one of the biggest compliments if someone applies uh, multiple times. All right. So back to hiring strategy, we're in a different time, man. So we're in this time of this like very serious health concern that we have globally. So how's that uh, impacted or changed or altered your approach to hiring during uh, this time of COVID-19?
1: So it hasn't yet because we haven't, we just haven't been hiring right now. We, we've got a full team and uh, you know, the reality is, is it's just, it's an environment where, you know, a lot of companies are not bringing in new people right now so where I see the benefit of going through all this is prior to all this I was kind of pushing people into doing more video Um, and here we are forced into it today so now what's happening is people are more comfortable getting on video because I think a lot of times people relied on the phone call or face to face and they were scared off of the video so we've all been forced into it and now a lot more people are comfortable with it so what I see the benefit of it is I see as one, it can help speed up your process, Um, you know, because especially the way our business works where, you know, we may have a regional manager in Chicago and he's interviewing people, you know, in Michigan and Indiana or or wherever it may be, you know, it takes time. It takes time to fly places and spend a day interviewing. So we can speed up the process and we can reduce costs. Um, So I don't know, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, we all have short-term memory, and yeah. if they find a vaccine next month, God only knows, I mean, we might revert right back to how we were back in January. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I can definitely see some positives coming out of this, though, and and I think using using Zoom or Teams, some type of video chat, I see as as absolutely complementing the hiring process. It's just a really easy way to quickly get on with somebody and and really talk about the role and figure out, is this a good fit? is it worth continuing the conversation? And you can do it, you know, quickly and a lot less uh, expense.
0: Yeah. You know, I I feel that this um, whole health situation has just really moved a change that was going to happen, let's say in 10 years, they've just moved it up to now that really telecommuting, video conferencing, all this stuff. It's just, yeah, this is what we do. And uh, if you've done well, it's a great, Great, great tool. And I feel it can be just as good as being in person despite what people say. I think it actually can be that if you, if you train yourself to do it very, very well. All right, man. So now I'm going to ask you a big question as we're heading, heading towards the end of our conversation. And then of course, you know, things that you want to add in as well. Um, talent strategy. I hear a lot of people talk about talent strategy, talent strategy, talent strategy. And it's always seems to me, not always, but very often seems to me these kind of like vague things that people talk about. So tell me about talent strategy from your perspective.
1: Yeah, for me, I look at talent strategy as as probably like four pillars. Um, And first of all is is having a talent pool uh, Mm -hmm. in the sense that you've got to have a strong talent pool. If you want to make really good hiring decisions, you've got to have a good uh, amount of really strong people coming in your organization. A few ways to do that. You know, obviously, you know, having strong third party recruiters, bringing people into the organization. Having a strong employee brand or employer brand, excuse me, where people want to come work for your company because they know it. Google is a great example. Facebook's a great example. People are dying to go work for those companies because they have a really strong brand. Uh, Also, uh, employee referrals. You know, one of the the top sources for new hires should come from the people that work at your company. Uh, And there's a lot of data that talks about, you know, why those are such great referrals and whatnot. So talent pool is a piece of it. Um, obviously, candidate experience is a piece of it. Uh, when you when you bring people in, if you do all this work to bring in top talent, you want to keep this top talent engaged in your process and wanting the job. The interview process, you know, how you how you go about interviewing people, again, whether it's a thorough process, do you have a have a mindset that it's really important and you make it a priority? So it really comes down to hiring managers having a, a discipline and a mindset your selection process again like we talked about you could have this perfect process and screw it up at the end you know and i talk about two of the most important things when it comes to hiring is mindset and discipline you know having the mindset that this is really important that every hire is critical that this is a priority for me having the discipline to say no is really critical you know a lot of times people are afraid to lose out on someone who may be a great hire you know and i'm like maybe you know you're you're hedging a lot on this maybe i i talk about the fact that when you're hiring people you ought to it oughta you ought to have the same feeling that you get when you find your dream home or your dream apartment like i have to have this house that's how you should feel about the people you're hiring i have this saying i say if you don't know you know you should not have to convince yourself to hire somebody mm-hmm. lastly the reality is, is I don't care how great of a process you have, mistakes are going to happen. I tell our, our hiring managers all the time, first of all, it, the hiring mistake is not the big mistake, right? That's like a little, that's just like a, what we all make it, right? The cardinal sin is ignoring the mistake. Mm. That's the cardinal sin. And so being able to identify those mishires quickly And moving on is critical to the business. Otherwise, what happens, you find yourselves 18 months, 24 months in when you knew at month three that this was a poor hire. So identifying those early and making a change. I know it's harsh and it's tough, but I tell people all the time, those red flags, they don't show up 12 months later. Mm -hmm. They show up on day one, month one, first quarter, whatever it is. You know quickly whether or not you made the right hire or not.
0: Uh, It's interesting you say that. It reminds me of, um, I was talking to Matt, uh, so one of our earlier podcasts, I think it was episode 12 or something, Um, and he does uh, a company called Outvoice, and he also does uh, this, you know, kind of satire site called The Hard Times, and we were talking about, uh, as a business leader, what's one of the things that he focuses on, and he said failing fast. Like if I'm going to start a new pursuit, I want to fail as fast as I can. And if I if I fail, that means it's not worth investing in anymore. And if I don't fail, that means, oh, I I should invest in this. He's like, if something's not going to want to work or not going to work, I want to know as soon as I can so I can cut it off. I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at something. And I like what you're saying here. It's don't hire defensively, like don't try to not hire the wrong person. It's Hire someone based on the the right amount of data information, both the art and the science. But then, if they're not the right person, just be ready to make the decision to let them go quickly. So allow it to fail quickly because it's not just good for the, your business; it's also good for that person, so they can go find that right fit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, first of all, before you make the decision, you have to be willing to walk away. You know, right. and 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 that's why one of the reasons why I've taken the hiring decisions out from the hiring managers because. Again, they'll lower the bar. I've I've had this specific situation where you know we were hiring in Seattle and the hiring manager sent me two candidates. I was like, Nope, we're not moving forward with either one of these. Goes back, sends me two more candidates. Nope, we're not gonna hire either and you feel bad, all right? Because you know you know this guy's been out there, he's spent all this time interviewing people, he's sending them to me so he's feeling bad because he's not filling his role and he's probably feeling a little self-conscious about his criteria sending to me and that I haven't liked any of these and he finally pushed back he's like we're not going to find anything better like I have scoured the entire city we're not going to find anything better I go yes we are and in fact we're going I'm going back with you and we're going to find them and we did and we we end up hiring a superstar and it's the most gratifying feeling because you have to stick to your guns you have to stay disciplined because sometimes it's easy to say yeah you know what you're right Let's just mm. let's concede here and, yeah. and uh, you know, we'll wave the white flag and we'll hire somebody that we're not crazy about. And it's just not good for business.
0: Yeah, and I, I love that approach. I also love the approach of um, having uh, existing employees make uh, referrals. Uh, one of the best hires that we have, uh, Patrick, who's sitting is sitting in with us right now. He's putting his arms up in the air in celebration as I'm saying this. Uh, uh, him and Jerry and Jerry, who is his boss now, um, they, they know each other. And she said, Hey, you know, we should hire Patrick and we talked through it. And I knew Patrick just a bit. It's a great referral. And in fact, a lot of our company has been built on, on, um, uh, existing employees, referring people in, um, and I, I I love what you just said there about removing that power from the hiring manager because also it's like you can get stuck with the I made the decision to hire this person and I want it to work out so bad because the decision was on me I'm going to give them extra time. One of the worst mistakes I ever made uh, as a hiring manager was hiring someone uh, that I felt it was like a, a really really good fit and then as soon as it as soon as I knew it wasn't. I just, I'd had invested so much in this person. I'd hyped them up. I'd brought them in under my brand. And I just kept giving them opportunity and great person, like very, you know, very, very nice person, but just not right for the role. And I let this go on for a long time. And really what it boiled down to was I wanted them to succeed because, you know, I cared about them and all of that, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to have made a terrible mistake. I didn't want to put my clients with someone who wasn't well, well suited. I didn't really want to own. I made a screw-up, but the real screw-up wasn't hiring the person. The screw-up was not just saying, hey, it was, it's time to go, and uh, it, it was such a good learning for me, and you know, I'd, I've already been a professional for many years, and I realize it's like, hey, I still have tons to learn uh, about hiring, and uh, not just hiring, uh, interviewing, hiring, talent strategy, and you've given us so, so much incredible thinking here. So as we're you know coming close to the end, is there anything else you want to add in to you know kind of help grow our thinking on how we're going to like interview people, hire people, or any talent strategy thoughts?
1: Well, just to, to back up to your point, you know when you you made that that hiring mistake again, I, and I'm blanking on what it's called, but I think it's like a sunk cost fallacy, right? Where you've invested so much, you, you're not ready, you don't want to give in, and you also don't want to admit to a mistake, right? right? And one of the great things about the way we do it is we have a hire, we have a panel, and at the end of the day the mistake is on us as a group and we'll own that mistake together. And And so we nobody, nobody has to sit there and, and shriek and failure and, and whatnot. So that's one of the reasons why we do that. It really takes the pressure off one individual because again, one individual, they're not going to get it right all the time. And group think the more we are collective and collaborative, the better decisions we'll make. So uh, as far as um, you know, anything else on, you know, with the hiring and, and, and um, interview process, You know, again, I think uh, two of the most important things really comes down to uh, mindset and discipline, you know, how how you approach the hiring process, you know, and again, is it, do you go into it thinking like, this is really important and it's, it's deserving of my time and attention or is it something that you've got to fit into your schedule? And for me, I always make it a priority. I get excited because I love it, you know, And, and I tell people all the time, like I'm kind of a hiring geek, like. Nine times out of 10, I've got a book in my bag, something related to either social psychology or hiring or interviewing or whatever it may be. Um, And I'm still, you know, again, I'm still trying to perfect my craft. Um, But I just enjoy it. I love the challenge of selecting the right people. So having the right mindset is really important. And again, how you approach it, how you treat people and and all those types of things. because it is so easy to make mistakes and then then having discipline really having discipline to have a process to follow your process because a lot of times it's easy just to say oh we're going to cut corners because we don't have time or i don't have time or whatever it may be and the discipline to say no the discipline to walk away and because people are always afraid of missing out on something that may be great but at the end of the day, you're trying to hire somebody. And if they haven't convinced you that that you should hire them, keep looking.
0: Right on, man. Thank you. Okay, so you know, again, we've known each other for quite a while now. And you know how important music is to the story of our company. So I'm going to ask you some music-related questions. Okay. You ready?
1: Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. I love... You're, uh, I, I've never been able to tell you this, but uh, the guitar intro to your podcast, I love it, man. It's a great sound. I love it.
0: Oh, awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Is okay. that you playing? No, no, it's not. Tammy found that. Um, okay. And, but I love that you paid attention to it because, you know, again, for anyone uh, who's new to the, to the podcast, music is a huge part of the company. You know, many of us are musicians, come from a background in music. And I believe like playing in a, in a punk band and touring has been a huge part of how I learned how to just do what I do today. So let's ask a couple questions here. Put me on the spot. No, 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 they're not. They're they're personal preference questions. Okay. Okay. So when you're getting amped up for anything, and it could be amped up for an interview, it could be amped up to go see a client, it could be amped up to go do whatever you want. What is either a record or a song that you listen to to get revved up?
1: Oh, man. Um, I I don't know. You know, honestly, for me, I think uh, music for me is, i don't know if i use it to get amped up it almost helps me clear my mind and find happiness mm-hmm. more than anything else so um, who do,
0: who does that for you who helps you find happiness and clears your mind oh I, geez
1: it could be i mean it could be the beatles um yeah. you know it could be as simple as the beatles I, I love music i love on honestly you name it i like it you know whether it just to give you an example right so i would say the three best concerts i've ever been to Garth Brooks, Justin Timberlake, and Aerosmith. Right? Oof, so really, man, you are really,
0: you got a broad, broad taste there, man. I, I'm surprised you didn't say mob deep or something like that and really like round it out. Okay, now wait a second, since you mentioned the Beatles, cause I'm gonna, I, I gotta get something out of you here. Beatles, early Beatles or late Beatles?
1: Uh, I would say, you know, the funny I would say mostly early Beatles, although, You know, a lot of uh, there's a lot of the solo uh, music that I like from George Harrison and John Lennon. So, you name Mm -hmm. it, I I grew up, listen, I grew up, my mom, you know, Saturday mornings was chore day, right? We cleaned the house and she put on music from the 50s and 60s. So I spent my entire childhood listening to music from the 50s and the 60s. So I love all of it.
0: All right. Now we're going to get tougher. Who is the coolest Beatle?
1: Oh, boy um you know it'd be easy to say john lennon because of the mystique of john lennon um but i gotta go paul mccartney just because of the 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 stain power you know and uh you know he just he seems like such a cool guy uh i'd have to go paul mccartney probably although uh they were all cool you know uh george harrison i you know i got my mindset on you was a great song and some of his old some of the stuff from the 70s was great Mm -hmm. ringo star the drummer you know how he of course you can't say he's not cool so
0: well i think a lot of people do say ringo's not cool and in fact as soon as i said who's the coolest patrick who's a drummer was across the computer from me. started started imitating ringo as a drummer my my vote goes to george harrison i think he's the the coolest the the kind of the most mysterious like yeah. the deepest the most kind of like secret pain kind of uh, became like a wild krishna all of that kind of stuff yeah. Real interesting all right listen uh tom this has been so so good so thank you so much for joining us uh, It's an incredible uh, conversation i learned so 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 much so thank you for all you do and for anyone who's interested uh tom has a fantastic LinkedIn profile, very, um, it always got great articles on there, lots of great thinking, and I'm hoping to see more podcasts from you, more writing from you in the future. Cause I think you have so much to add. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love the, you know, to your point on LinkedIn, I, I love writing. It's something I've always enjoyed doing even since college, just never thought it would pay the bills. So it's, uh, it's a great outlet, but it was a pleasure being with you because one, I love talking about hiring. I'm super passionate about it. I love to educate people on what I do, and then you know, obviously any time I get to spend with you. Uh, the only thing I'm disappointed in is every podcast I've listened from you, I've always learned something different and new about you, and I didn't really learn anything this time. I'm trying to think of what I learned about Iran that I didn't know um, previous, so that's the only thing that, that I did not get out of this.
0: Do you want me to, do you want me to tell you something about, about me that you did not know?
1: That'd be great. I would love it.
0: I have three unfinished tattoos, like major big unfinished tattoos. One is a halfway finished back piece. One is a halfway finished uh, chest panel. And one is a three quarters finished leg piece. And do you know why none of them are finished? No. Because getting tattooed really hurts. (laughs) It really, really, really hurts.
1: So did you start one, not finish it, and start another one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: then, and then started another one and
1: didn't finish
0: it. <laughs> and getting tattooed hurts way more as you get older. It's like the worst, the worst thing. So there, you just learned something about me. There we go. Perfect. Uh, right. Job accomplished. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. And we will see you next time on One Step Beyond. Dave, drop the beat. Wow. Thank you so much again, Tom, for showing up uh, to this conversation. You know, one of the things that always blows my mind is there's so much to learn about bringing the right people into your organization. I'm, you know, I've probably been leading people now for at least 20 years in one way or another. And I just feel like there's so, so much left for me to learn. And Tom just blew my mind. Uh, That was such an incredible conversation, very specifically the eloquence in which he spoke to things and just sort of really direct, clear insights you know, there's not a right or wrong about how we hire people. Like there isn't some like magic formula. But one thing that Tom said that I believe is the absolute truth and that I plan on applying going forward is that every hire is a critical hire. When I think about my organization, okay, there's 10 of us. So of course, every hire is a critical hire, but not just because of how many of us there are. It's that every single person you work with has the ability to give someone a good experience or bad experience. And that can be an existing employee or a new candidate or one of your clients. So with that thinking, I commit to absolutely applying myself and the things that I learned from Tom to making sure that every person that comes in is the best possible fit. And if we notice that they're not making the decision to part ways as quickly as we can. Because that's how we make sure our organizations are built to last. So I hope you got as much out of this as I did today. And we'll see you next time on One Step Beyond.